In this episode, I speak with founder of GU Box, Jessica Noda. Key points addressed were Jessica's varied occupational story that led her to launch of the clean beauty subscription box that is GU Box. We also discussed how she designed the process and curates the content of the box, as well as how she defines key terms such as indie beauty, cruelty-free, and clean for the GU Box's products. Stay tuned for my fascinating talk with Jessica Noda. is Patricia Kathleen, and this podcast series contains interviews I conduct with women, female-identified, and non-binary individuals regarding their professional stories and personal narrative. This podcast is designed to hold a space for all individuals to learn from their counterparts regardless of age, status, or industry. We aim to contribute to the evolving global dialogue surrounding underrepresented figures in all industries across the USA and abroad. If you're enjoying this podcast, be sure to check out our subsequent series that dive deep into specific areas such as vegan life, fasting, and roundtable topics. They can be found via our website, patriciacathleen.com, where you can also join our newsletter. You can also subscribe to all of our series on iTunes, Spotify, Stitcher, Podbean, and YouTube. Thanks for listening. Now let's start the conversation. Hi, everyone, and welcome back. I'm your host, Patricia, and today I am elated to be sitting down with Jessica Noda. She is the founder of GU Box, a clean beauty subscription box and online shop. You can find out more about her products and her company, as well as the other endeavors that we talk about today on www.jiyubox.com, gubox.com. Welcome, Jessica. Thank you for having me, Patricia. I'm excited to be here. Absolutely. I'm excited to unpack everything. We talked a little bit offline um, before we started recording, and I can't wait to kind of unearth um, what GU Box does and all of that. We've had a lot of audience members write in um, about people who have kind of the accountability, sustainability efforts that you look towards. For everyone who's new to the podcast, I will give you a quick roadmap of where our line of inquiry will head today, and then I will read a quick bio on Jessica before I start asking her my questions. So the roadmap for today's podcast will follow the same trajectory as all of those in this series. We look at four main constituents. One of them is uh, the first one, her academic background and early professional life leading up to the founding of GU Box. And then we'll look at unpacking GU Box. We'll get into the logistics of when it was founded, how funding, all of those things. And then we'll look towards the ethos and the philosophy of the company. Then we'll turn to unpacking and looking at goals that Jessica has for GU Box um, for the next one to three years. That's a conversation that's changed for a lot of people, um, given the recent COVID-19 pandemic. We'll wrap the entire podcast up. Uh, with advice that Jessica may have for those of you who are looking to get involved with her efforts or perhaps emulate some of her career success. So as promised, a quick bio on Jessica before I start asking her our questions. Jessica is the founder of GU Box, a clean beauty subscription box, an online shop featuring indie beauty brands. GU Box came to fruition in search of breaking free from the nine to five grind for Jessica. Jessica is also the founder of GU Management, which helps passionate entrepreneurs and side hustlers build meaningful communities. She is passionate about helping her peers and community to become their best self and strive for success. So um, Jessica, I was telling you uh, prior to jumping on um, this call that I got on your website and I do love it. And I always like to tell people on air so people can check it out. I'm kind of a connoisseur or an, an appreciator of good websites. I hit I like close to 2 million a week. And when I come across one that's really well done and um, elegant, I like to state that. So 
kudos to that. And I think that that kind of welcomes your, um, your potential customer and client in so beautifully. But prior to kind of unpacking the GU box and, and, and all of that, I want you to, if you would describe like your academic background, early professional life leading you to this point. Yeah. Um, so when I, I mean, starting from the beginning, I first wanted to be a physiotherapist in sports science. Uh, grew up playing a lot of sports, was in physio a lot. And I was like, okay, I want to help people. This is great. I'm going to do this. And uh, I ended up failing Chem 100. And I was like, well, this is not for me anymore. Hated science. Oh. And uh, so then I kind of took a blind turn and went uh, to just an info session. And it was on uh, marketing. And um, uh, at the time, it was uh, tourism marketing. I was like, well, I like to travel. So I I'm just going to try it. And you know, I was 18 or 19 at the time. So uh, I did that. And I ended up graduating with just a general business and marketing degree. And um, I went into my first job as a travel agent. And uh, that was great. But what I found was that the travel industry is very hesitant and resistant to change. So I was working and booking um, people on their flights and their vacations on a system that was built in the 1980s. So I was like hard coding in these different types of flight. And there's no, there's like, you could get through your entire day without using a mouse. It was all, on, it was like those black screens with like the green text on it. It was awful. Uh, so, and everyone in that industry is kind of, they're in their like fifties and they've just been doing it forever. So didn't want to change. Um, and what happened after that is I kind of got tired of being in an industry that was resistant to change. So I ended up going into tech and I went into tech sales. Um, at first I was working in a company that I was working with a lot of uh, influencers with YouTubers. So that was quite interesting. Um, and then I moved into a more, I guess I would say hardcore software sales position working, uh, doing audit management software. And <laughs> to be honest, I still couldn't really tell you what auditing is and how <laughs> it works. Um, so that, uh, I was, I was quite miserable at that job. I was working East coast time and I work, I live in the West coast. So it was just not working out for me. And, um, I kind of hit my, my breaking point. I was like, well, you know, do I stay at this job and make really good money in sales and be miserable? Or do I just try something I've kind of got, I'm still young. I've got time on my hands. Why not just try this? And so I ended up leaving the nine to five job and starting GU management. Um, which at the time was um, more about marketing, but I quickly realized that, uh, especially in Vancouver, and I'm sure in basically in all of North America, it's a quite a saturated market. And unless you're very passionate about it or um, an expert at it, uh, you're going to have a really hard time finding clients um, and building up that business. So after about, I would say six months of that, I was again miserable and I decided, okay, do I go back to a nine to five job and be miserable and make money or do I stick this out and really give it a good shot of, of being an entrepreneur and kind of running my own life. And um, I kind of decided, I was like, okay, well, what, what do I really care about? What am I really passionate about? And it came back to me was skincare and beauty and makeup. And, you know, at this, when I was you know, in high school, I was always watching these YouTube videos and at that time, it was never really a career, <laughs> you know, getting into the beauty industry, you really only do it by making your own products. Um, 
so I, at that time it wasn't feasible, but now in this day and age, there's so many different options. And so I think I was actually watching a YouTube video of someone unboxing, doing one of those PR hauls or something like that. And it's like, I could do that. And I could do that, I could do that better. So that's kind of the spark of how Jukebox started. <laughs> that's amazing. So let's get into unpacking it. How was, um, I love that you've kind of, you know, bounced around and recovered and, you know, people frequently view, you know, peppering of a bunch of different industries as a problem or a lack of commitment. And I think it requires mm -hmm. a great bravery and it also offers this incredible, um, seasoning to anybody who's experienced different industries and um, the conversation with the self is key with most founders um, to have a very fluent dialogue with one's internal processes but also to have peppered different industries is always it, it's never been unbeneficial to anyone from an artist to you know um, a geophysicist so I think it's fantastic that you did and that's part of your story um, I want to unpack GU Box now. So really quickly, the logistics, when was it founded? Did you have co-founders? Did you take funding? Was it bootstrapped? Uh, so I founded in June of 2019. So we're actually just over a year old now. Um, I am the sole founder. However, my boyfriend is a very big uh, influence on the way the, the branding has gone. Um, so we talk about that a lot. He's almost like an uh, unofficial co-founder. Um, and it's been bootstrapped. No, no funding, no, no extra family and friends help. Amazing. Um, did you fund any of it with your previous endeavors or was it all just like as you went along? Uh, it's kind of, I mean, I had a bit of a savings fund, but I do a little bit of, you know, consulting work on the side with GU management. So it, any, all of my income is really going towards funding GU Box. It's, that's kind of the end goal is to just be working on GU Box. Did you, um, did you launch it moonlighting with a different uh, career or, or job or did you quit what you were doing and sink all of your efforts solely into it in 2019? Um, at the time, it was all of my efforts and I quickly realized that I was running out of money. So I uh, took on a part-time remote job and I do still have that. So that's kind of also funding it. And I think, you know, from the outside it looks very glamorous and it looks like a, a very well put together company but in the background it's me running around doing three different jobs trying to just make ends meet yeah absolutely as one does in the in the infancy of any startup <laughs> Um, I'm wondering, so your website, it states that the word GU means freedom in Japanese and GU box stands for the freedom to explore and enjoy our lives while also living a life free from toxins, fillers, and animal cruelty. And I feel like that embodies, you know, a lot of the um, philosophy and ethos of your brand. Can you kind of unpack? So um, for people listening or watching this on the vodcast, um, when someone lands to your site, what are you hoping that they first notice and what, are you, um, what is like the, the site intending to do for your customer and then also kind of unpack the box for us, literally, like what entails? Yeah. Uh, so when you first get to the site, I, I kind of picture the site as it looks high end, but it is still affordable. And I, I fiddle with saying this, but it is quite the affordable luxury. Um, so usually clean beauty is more on the high end side. You've got your, you know, there are brands that have cleansers for a hundred dollars, which they're great. Um, but you know, that's not always in everyone's budget. Uh, so the idea is to make it feel and look like you're, you're purchasing and engaging with something that's luxury, but something that's still attainable for everyone. Um, 
And the idea behind that is just, you know, growing up, our parents didn't really know any better. They were buying all the, all the stuff with, that had a lot of toxins in it. And I think today's, in today's day and age, everyone is much more educated on um, what they're putting into and onto their bodies. So I want to kind of create a more of an educational platform for people. So we do a blog post every week on different topics within clean beauty. We interview the uh, brands that we have in the box. Um, so we want to make it a, eventually grow it into not just being an e-commerce platform, but also a place for education um, to learn more about the ingredients and the brands that you're, you're purchasing from. Um, and in terms of unpacking the box, um, we, we were a seasonal subscription. And the reason why I did that was today, everyone is so inundated with so much stuff. And I'm quite a minimalist. I don't use a lot of products. Of course, I'm testing a lot of things out all the time. But in my regular routine, it's really not that long. And to be honest, I'm a little bit lazy. Like I don't like to do <laughs> so all these steps every night, every morning. Um, so I, I did it as a seasonal thing and they are full size so that in that three months you have time to really try everything rather than sometimes when you get sample size things, it's nice, but you can't actually tell if it works because sometimes the samples just don't last long enough. Um, so I did it every season so you can really fully try everything out. And then by the time the next season comes around, uh, you're ready for something new. Um, and we did it by, the, the way I curate the box is by season. So our skin changes every season in the wintertime, especially here in Vancouver, it's so dry and cold. Whereas in the summertime, it is pretty hot and humid. So your skin's really looking for different things uh, throughout the year. So that's kind of what I based the contents of the box around. Um, and so when I'm looking to source different products for the box, um, first of all, I'm looking for, I'm thinking, I think about what products uh, people and skin is looking for during that season. And then I go out and find brands that have that product um, that fit our criteria. So is it a rotating brand or do you use one until you find one that's better? How are you curating what makes it into the box? Uh, so I obviously I have a whole Rolodex and list of vendors that I would like to work with. Um, but like I said, so for example, for summertime, I'm probably not going to put a heavy body cream in there. That might be better for wintertime. So once I've decided uh, what's, what type of product is going in the box, um, I'll go through my kind of Rolodex of vendors I'd like to work with and see if they have a product that um, fits our ingredients, fits our branding as well. Um, and also fits the, the price point. Um, and then on top of that, I'm always searching on Instagram and I'm always looking at ads as well that come up uh, for new brands. And so of course I've got a huge saved folder on my Instagram. Um, I've got tons of screenshots of different types of ads that come up. Um, and then on top of that, I have gone to, uh, I went to the Indie Beauty Expo uh, last year and. Know, this year actually in January of 2019 and was able to meet a lot of vendors in person and test out their products so um, it finding the brands comes from accumulation of a lot of different um, resources. Absolutely I'm curious I want to kind of unpack some terms for people listening who don't um, haven't heard of any of them before your site uses um, 
the following like phrases a great deal, and I'm hoping you can kind of describe what you mean by them personally. So you just mentioned indie beauty, and they haven't, mm-hmm. but I kind of want to unpack what that means for you, what indie beauty is, and what you, what you personally feel by, you, you talked about being clean and cruelty-free, and, mm-hmm. um, and so I'm hoping that we can kind of like, what do those terms mean to you, even though sometimes they seem transparent, they mean a lot of different things to a lot of different people, particularly when it comes to um, beauty. So let's start with indie beauty. What does that term mean for you? Yeah, so indie beauty for me are smaller brands um, who are not necessarily in the big box stores like um, a Sephora. Um, And one of the reasons why is because I was kind of like, well, why would anyone buy a box if you could just go to Sephora online and grab it? Um, And the other reason is because um, of being able to support other small businesses. So there's a lot of different uh, terms for indie beauty, but in general, Um, It means that it's a company that's usually bootstrapped. Maybe they got some, um, you know, um, loans from the bank, but they don't have investor funding. Um, And it's usually run, founded, uh, and owned by the original owner. Um, So they don't have like a huge board of people running it. It's not like uh, a L'Oreal where you've got these huge, like it's a very big conglomerate. They're usually local uh, businesses who, you know, might be your next door neighbor who had started making soaps in her house and it started to grow her company. Um, so being able to have that community aspect and you know, some of the indie beauty brands, they are large. They, they've been around for three, five, seven, ten 10 years, um, but they're still considered indie because they, they are still run and owned by the original founder. Right. Yeah. Okay. Now let's get into what do you mean by clean when you talk about clean products? What, how is that term? Like what makes it into that? Yeah. So clean beauty is, it's such a a blanket term. Mm -hmm. And when I actually first launched the company, I started off by marketing that we were all natural. And uh, I did that because what happens in the industry is clean is a very, um, flexible marketing word that a lot of companies use. And so the re- I had originally gone with all natural because it was a little bit more specific. Um, Cause if you look up clean beauty, there's this thing called greenwashing where when you say clean beauty or green beauty, people automatically think, Oh, it's fine. It's great for you. There's, there's, you know, um, so in terms of clean beauty, what that means is not just necessarily having um, no, you know, sulfates or PEGs or um, dimethicones. It's not like, it's not just removing the, the kind of the big bad ones, but it's also making sure that the ingredients are as close to their um, original um, format as possible. So for example, something like citric acid, um, usually it's an acid. So you would usually find that in citrus, like a lemon or an orange. And by, and that is considered all natural. Um, but what happens is it would take a ton of lemons to make just a little bit of citric acid to put into a skincare product. So that is something that we allow to be made in a, uh, in a lab or in a manufacturer because it's just not feasible to harvest that many lemons to, to make into um, the product that you need. Um, so that's kind of what we mean by clean beauty is keeping it as uh, close to the natural source uh, as possible and something that you could find from the earth. Yeah, absolutely. I'm wondering when you go into, so on your website, when you go into the starter box and you kind of look at things, you talk about cruelty free. And that's another word that um, I feel like 
can be flexible with marketing, you know? And so I'm wondering, is it PETA certified? And that's in the States. I know you're in Canada, but um, what, what are the criteria used to have it be cruelty free? Because there are people that outsource, as you've kind of mentioned here with the, um, with the clean aspect, you can outsource a certain part of the process to the cruelty or animal testing, uh, which I think a lot of people subscribe to cruelty-free, which is not. Cruelty-free can be animal testing called humane animal testing. So how do you look at all of those and what are your criteria for calling it cruelty-free? Yeah, so for cruelty-free means that it's not tested, like the products are not tested on animals at all in any of in any of the process. And so that means that any of the products that we have in the brand are tested only uh, on humans. And it's interesting, I was reading a few articles a few months back and they've actually found that um, testing products on humans is actually much cheaper than testing it on animals as well. Um, so it, along the lines of cruelty-free, I will mention that most of the products do tend to be vegan, although we do have products that do have honey in them. Um, so for some people that might not be considered cruelty-free, um, but for GU Box, we consider cruelty-free as not testing on animals, but some products may have honey in them, they may have you know, goat's milk in them. So they're not necessarily vegan, but they're not tested on animals. Okay. And moving forward, I'm wondering, um, you're so new now, and so I'm, I'm sure that it's something that will come up as you kind of um, go along with GU Box, but have you considered that as you, as you start to think of your customer, have you considered, you know, a curation aspect for people who are, um, I mentioned this, a lot of people listening who follow my podcast know that um, I have a podcast based on vegan life that started up last year and it was, it was just coincidental. Um, it started actually prior to COVID, but it's kind of been this huge platform since the COVID-19 pandemic. People have had a return to conversations with themselves and their um, realities about how health and the vegan diet has kind of risen as this flagship, you know, of, of the way that a lot of people are turning to, to resume um, health and encourage immune responses and things like that. Um, I'm wondering, are you going to be able to, w do you foresee in your future with GU Box, like curating to people who have stipulations like vegan or allergies or things like that, where you can start to substitute things out? Or do you want to keep it just standard? For now, uh, it is standard. However, if uh, a customer has allergies or they are they only use vegan products, um, we just ask that they let us know ahead of time. Um, so then, if there is a product that is not uh, that may have an ingredient that they're allergic to or is not vegan and has you know, honey in it, um, we'll find a substitute for them. Yeah, nice. So I'm wondering, um, given that we were just kind of discussing, or I was rather, uh, the COVID-19 pandemic, um, looking forward to like your future goals and things like that, this is a conversation that people have had that has changed for everybody that I know of. Um, you have this online enterprise, which was, it, it's, it's kind of a beautiful thing because it should be able to um, be more sustainable than brick and mortar situations. Um, do you, moving forward with your goals, do you plan on staying solely online? Would you ever go into a brick and mortar situation? And also what are your plans for the next one to three years with GU Box? Uh, I do plan to stay online. Uh, that being said, I do do pop-ups 
sometimes uh, I do will go to events. Um, so having maybe a longer term temporary pop up is something in the future, but for the most part, it is it is online, and that's purely most a lot of it is logistics. To be honest, it's a lot of work to run a brick and mortar store and have um, people running it. And so during this pandemic, I realized how oh lucky and grateful I am that I have an online business that I didn't have to worry about staff uh, running the store and you know a lot of the beauty companies that I see who do have the brick and mortars they've had to implement a lot of these different types of measures especially for things like testing out products how are you going to do that so um, I don't foresee us having a permanent brick and mortar store um, but pop-ups are definitely in the future when we can kind of go back to those types of uh, events um, for the next one to three years um, I would really like to actually move our operations to the US uh, that's kind of on been on my radar for the last year uh, there's just in being in Canada it, it's great I, you know, I love Canada but uh, in terms of shipping things it's quite a headache um, there's just not as many options in terms of just getting the logistics up and running um, so it would make more sense to be based in the US. And I, I joke that where I'm in, in Vancouver, I'm only a two hour drive from the border. So I kind of say, if I was just two hours to help, this would have been a lot easier. <laughs> um, um, so it's, uh, yeah. No, sorry. Um, the, with the, really quickly, we're returning to that kind of same aspect. When you talk about clean, so where are you guys, um, where do you get, like the manufacturing process and stuff like that for the boxes and things like that are those is that happening in canada or is it outsourced and will that stay the same i mean you're saying moving it to the us us so i'm assuming it's happening it's manufactured in canada yeah our boxes are manufactured in canada they're actually i've act, they're just a drive away from where i'm at so they're a local company um, which I really love working with it. It's really nice to be able to go in and meet the people who you're working with. And when we could, I would, anytime I was working with a local vendor here, I would always try and meet them in person and learn more about their stories. So um, our, our boxes are all sourced from, from basically in Vancouver here. That's awesome. I know that that's tempting part even with people who are trying to be um, very conscious environment environmentally sustainability accountability um, with products they eventually just get kind of seduced you know by um, outsourcing to yeah. you know other than the the place and it removes that like indie if you will <laughs> yeah you know mentality to the whole thing and I think it's you know a lot of people do it to stay afloat to stay alive um, as a last mm -hmm. resort, or even just as to increase profits in the future but it's very cool and still kind of rare, you know, that you're staying local and things of that nature. So you're planning on switching it up and going to the States um, for production just to make it easier for the shipping. Yeah. And there's just, you know, there's just a lot more people in the U.S. And especially in the beauty industry, there's a lot, um, a lot more industry in places like California. Um, so that's kind of where we're eyeing. Um, but just to be closer to that, and I find that it is more difficult as well to work with American brands and just shipping things across the border in terms of paying duties and just getting it across customs. And we're finding that most of our uh, customer base is in the U.S. Uh, so, of course, we're not going to forget about our Canadian customers, but um, it's just a logistics. It, is, it would be a lot easier to be based there.
How is that process going? I haven't spoken to anybody from Canada that's like trying to shift over into the States. I've talked to one person that was shifting back the other way into Canada because <laughs> dealing with Protestants, things that were coming from up there. But mm -hmm. um, is it difficult for you or is it an easy, like as an American citizen, I don't, as a United States citizen, I don't know how that process goes when you start to get do international situations. Have, have you started looking into it? Is it going to be a, a hard drive or will it be kind of a seamless transaction? Um, it's not going to be too difficult. It's actually better for cost saving. Um, shipping from Canada to the U.S. is extremely expensive. There are um, some alternative methods to shipping. Um, there's a service that's really great uh, at shipping to the U.S., but uh, I worry that because I'm in Canada and sometimes the shipping can take a lot longer to the U.S. and, you know, I know Americans are much more you're used to getting things a lot quicker. Uh, I worry about having too much of a shipping time and that impacting the customer experience. So the whole goal is to make it as the customer experience as seamless as possible. And I don't want people waiting, you know, two weeks or more to get their packages. And so just being able to do that would be a lot better um, and give, help me sleep at night to make sure that these packages are going across. And you wouldn't imagine how many nights I've had about worrying if a package is gonna make it through customs. Um, <laughs> so just having all those kind of things set in stone would be a lot easier. <laughs> Absolutely. So you're you're planning on looking at moving um, operations down to at least having a hub in the United States. Do you have any other future goals in regards to growth or anything? Do you do like the traditional one to three year plan, five year plan, or are you kind of taking it a day at a time right now because it's still in its infancy? Yeah, so I have um, one year plan. I mean, the goal is to, of course, make it to at least five years. I know a lot of companies don't make it that far. Right. Um, so it is to, because I'm so small and I, I've just got a team of uh, two other people, um, it's really easy to pivot, which has worked in our favor, especially during the pandemic. Um, being a year old when the pandemic started, we, we had enough of a basis to be able to stay afloat during this and also not be large and not be too large that we had to, you know, completely let go of our entire staff. Um, so the goal is to continue to grow and we do want to basically double the sales where we're at um, for the next year. Um, but I do see it being a small team. I don't see uh, G-Box being this massive, company with hundreds of employees ideally actually i'd like to keep it as, as small as possible um, because working in um, being in companies that are like startups and seeing how nimble you can be as a small team and being able to pivot when things change um, i don't foresee it being like this massive company that have you have to run through all these hoops and you know when you have a, a pr crisis or something that happens it's so quick uh, to be able to make the decision. Whereas, you know, if you're in a large company, you'd have to run through all these hoops and ask all these people and get everything approved. So um, growing, doubling our sales, but while keeping the team as nimble as possible. Nice. That's, and I think you're right about that. A lot of people don't consider that. For some reason, there's this um, largely held belief that, you know, the stability comes with this massive size and incredible growth. And I think you're talking, um, you're right in talking about, you know, the being nimble and staying flexible, you know, and that being part of like one of the crucial parts of startups is absolutely true. You know, um, being mm -hmm. able to survive both feast and famine, I think is, is much more easily navigated with a smaller team. <laughs> yeah. That a lot. 
Um, well, Jessica, we're wrapping up our time together, and I want to um, now turn towards what my, one of my favorite parts of the podcast uh, for people who uh, have listened to me before know, and that is um, I'm curious if you ran into someone from a safe, safe social distance in beautiful Vancouver tomorrow at some park or garden, and they came up and said, oh, I'm so glad, Jessica, I found you. I, yeah, I've been told that I should ask you for some advice. Here's the situation. I've peppered a lot of different industries and I've realized um, through a lot of different pains and, and uh, trials that they were not for me. And um, mm -hmm. I've decided I'm going to go out on my own. I have this great idea for a startup and um, I'm going to get going tomorrow. What are the top three pieces of advice you would give? Let's say uh, for a certain, it's a woman, female identified or non-binary individual, anyone other than a white man. Um, mm -hmm. what are the three top pieces of advice you would give that individual knowing what you know right now? Um, the first one is a little bit cheesy, but I would say that you want to be passionate about what you're doing, because if you're not passionate about what you're doing, when you hit those hard times, it's going to be really hard. And what has kept me going through the hard times now is knowing that you know, I do still really, really care about what I'm doing. And I think a lot of um, founders kind of, you need to use that passion to fuel you because it's all, you know, bunnies and rainbows when you first start you're like, Oh, this is great. I'm like running my own business. Uh, I own my own time. I own my schedule. But when things get tough, when you're, you know, money's tight, you're kind of like, why am I doing this? If you're really not passionate about what you're doing and you really don't care about what you're doing, um, it's going to be really tough and it's going to be tempting to go back to that nine to five job and just be kind of complacent with what you're doing. So I would say one is to be very passionate about what you're doing. Um, and obviously that can evolve. Um, so that goes back to the really commonly word used now is pivot, um, but making sure that you really care about what you're doing. Yeah. Um, the second one is I would say to make sure that you have a very strong support system around you. Uh, I find that as you start to really get into your business, um, it's harder to relate to your, your friends and your peers who do have those nine to five jobs. And so they may not always understand why you can't go out for happy hour every Friday or why you're working on Saturday and Sunday and can't go to the beach. Uh, so making sure that you've got really strong friendships who um, can support you through that. Um, and understand why you can't be there all the time um, because you won't. You're, it's just not possible. And every time you, you go out and spend money on happier, like, oh man, that was like 50 bucks I could have used to put into my own company. Um, so I think making sure you've got a really strong um, network of friends. Uh, and then the third thing is I would say to grow, expand your network. Um, in terms of business and finding other people who are also in the same position as you and maybe a few years along. Because um, what I found really helpful is uh, because my friends who are nine to five jobs, they don't necessarily understand the struggles I'm going through. Also having a network of people who understand what you're going through and you can kind of work through those pains and struggles together. Um, and then having someone you know who maybe a couple years ahead of you being able to be close they're still um they're not so big that they don't remember what it was like to start but they've just got a couple more years ahead of you to remember uh and give you some advice on what worked for them uh when they were in your in your place yeah i like that that's awesome all right so i've got be passionate about what you do number one 
um, have a strong support system of people who can relate or at least show um, patience with your current struggles. And then number three, expand your network, particularly with those who are um, a little bit further ahead for like a mentoring mm -hmm. um, aspect, which I completely concur with. I think that those are all really strong. And they're all, a lot of those are about, you know, developing this, this community, you know, that kind of, yeah. It's an ecosystem for startups, I think. And, and when you realize that and you realize that, you know, there are other things that help it rather than just endeavoring more work towards the startup, but, you know, also having social aspects and your other pieces of your life kind of tie into that and relate to it. They don't just help with, I think, um, staying alive, <laughs> which is the goal. <laughs> I think it also, it really encourages the, um, the joy one receives from the, the process. Mm -hmm you know, and um, the potential gains and the education that can go along with it, um, as well as the pain, which I think a lot of people have very well iterated, you know, the pain of starting a startup and sleepless nights and things like that are frequently spoken of, but there can be <laughs> this rush and things like that. And I think it's um, exacerbated when you, when you do things like include social circles around that type of thing and not fight it, but mm -hmm. rather encourage it with, you know, like-minded individuals like you're talking about. So that's clever and I like it a lot. Jessica, thank you so much for giving us your time today. I really appreciate you kind of unpacking GU Box and um, giving us your story. Thank you so much, Patricia. This was awesome talking with you today. Awesome. And for everyone listening, we've been speaking with Jessica Noda. She's the founder of GU Box, a clean beauty subscription box and online shop. You can find out more at www.gubox.com. That is J-I-Y-U box.com. Thank you for giving me your time today. And until we speak again next time, remember to stay safe and always bet on yourself. Sancha. Sancha.